Welcome to Federal Insights, Network and Application Modernization, sponsored by Rancher Government Solutions. Here's your moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Brandon Gullah, the Chief Technology Officer of Rancher Government Solutions. Brandon, good to have you with us. Tom, thanks for having me. And let's talk about edge and clouds and data centers. Those have emerged as the three kind of big infrastructure components for federal agencies trying to deploy digital services and improve performance. And so you've got these three areas. What is a good contemporary strategy architecture for incorporating all three of those elements? What does it look like as we go into 2022 and beyond? Yeah, Tom, great question. You mentioned the three different infrastructure uh, platforms that are really being targeted by today and tomorrow's uh, federal industry. And while those are three bespoke infrastructure solutions, we need to focus on three pillars of excellence within those uh, three different types of infrastructures. Commonly, we hear those as security, speed, and scale. And I think top of everyone's mind right now is certainly security. We heard uh, late last week about a Log4J, huge vulnerability that popped and uh, JVM-based applications, something that is a very low-level uh, you know, function within a computer software module that essentially could be exploited at any time. People don't even realize that they're using Log4J. A you know, developer who just joined the team might have been on three months. This is something someone wrote and implemented months ago. They have no idea what that software footprint could actually be. So of course, security is number one. We need to be working with our supply chain um, supply chain enthusiasts and experts to ensure that we're having assistation as well as full transparency on what software modules are being baked into tomorrow's technology. We have to have that single source of truth in that chain of evidence to ensure that all of our dependencies and components of our software stack is not just secure today, but can be validated and audited in months and years to come. We all know that the federal government doesn't move as fast as other industries, we might have old software running weapon systems and things like that. We need to ensure that we have the correct state and uh, versioning applied to all of these systems as they continue to grow. So this so, is where the uh, software bill of materials could really absolutely is an important part here. Absolutely, the bill of materials. Uh, you know that that's something that's really coming a, a flare lately. We've noticed in the cloud industry and especially within the federal industry. Mission adopters really focus on functionality first. Uh, you know, intelligence communities and very tactical customers, they care about the mission element and how a technology can impact mission. It's later in life and later in the life cycle of software that they start to check all the boxes and really focus on security. Unfortunately, we try to focus on security out of the gate, but we also know that uh, you know, federal industries are now catching up to how appropriately scan containers, how to monitor Kubernetes network systems. So now that they've caught up, they focus on compliance. And software bill of materials is a big part of that. We've seen a lot of uh, change just recently in the Kubernetes community uh, within the uh, SIG store type of, uh, uh, excuse me, community of practice focused on the signing of artifacts, the bill of materials, things like that. We've seen uh, companies start to pop up. Uh, ChainGuard is one that has popped up recently that has focused on uh, bill of materials and software signing. And that's focused uh, primarily out of work that Google did. And they broke off and started ChainGuard. So I'm really excited to see the community start to focus on security more. All right. And then speed and scale have to happen within that security framework. And that idea of containerization seems to also support speed and scale. It can. Containerization is not, you know, a 
a an elixir that you drink it and all of a sudden you're cloud native and you're secure, right? You can take a very insecure application, throw it in a Linux Docker container, and it's still just as insecure. But what it promotes is the idempotency and the immutability that software can provide, allowing you to move an application from infrastructure to infrastructure, maybe classification domain to the tactical battlefield in a way that is flexible. Uh, and, and highly decoupled from the underlying infrastructure. And that's where the speed component can come in. Uh, when we think of speed as well, we're seeing a lot of in advancements uh, in not just uh, connectivity when it comes to US East One and you know all these new data centers coming online, which I can talk about in a second, but we're seeing 5G, right? 5G is a buzzword, I, I don't wanna beat it up, but what 5G does enable is the extension of the, of the information domain where before you might have a sensor applied down at the tactical battlefield or you know, at the quote edge, and it would be unable to process that data and send it back in an effective manner. Now with 5G, we're seeing that, that infrastructure domain extend out into the battlefield, maybe a, a light pole, a, a wind turbine, sending back uh, you know, diagnostic information. We're seeing 5G open up a lot of doors, but with 5G, I don't want to focus too much on that because with companies such as Starlink uh, from SpaceX and other types of companies focused on satellite communications, Intelsat as well, uh, Kratos, they're opening up a huge domain that was once since as a dying world, right? Satellite was very latent, uh, focused on 3G, LTE, 5G, but now we're seeing through the commoditization of space and the embracement of space in the weapons industry, a new advancement towards not just terrestrial-based uh, communications, but opening the door to all mediums as well. All right, so then you therefore have a choice of fast ways to bring in the edge computing facility, and you have a efficient way through containers to deploy them to the edge. So it sounds like now the edge itself can come back into the fold in a sense as a high performing part of your computing infrastructure and not just for low bandwidth types of IOC, IOT devices. Right. Yeah. IOT, everyone's refrigerator is running, uh, you know, some, some Linux distribution underneath the hood. I, I saw on Twitter people complaining that they couldn't do their laundry because US East One was down in Amazon a few weeks ago, right? It, we don't want to, we want to enable the future and not hinder it based on connectivity problems. So we've seen, you know, a, a huge push into this market. But what's really important to focus on is also the security, because while you can start putting these devices at the edge, they could be uh, exploited or even, you know, people tend to forget about physical tampering. Right. So you need to have a way you don't want uh, a adversary or a competitor to come out and grab your, you know, your Raspberry Pi that's uh, in the field or your uh, your single board computer that's in the field processing data, you don't want them to exploit that and uh, become compromised. So there's a lot going on both on the physical security realm as well as the TPM module approach, which we're uh, here at Rancher Government Solutions, we're working with uh, plenty of partners in the, in the, excuse me, in the physical computing world to find that chain of trust from the hardware up. That way we can validate hashes and ensure that these single board computers and other edge technology that are deployed in the field have a chain of trust that are immutable and can have the integrity that our mission demands, both on the physical and digital side. 
All right. And then the idea of scale, we haven't discussed that one quite as much, but as the federal government goes to these digital services, the next generation of digital services, and trying to increase the customer experience, another high priority right now for agencies pretty much across the government. How do you get scale uh, in such a way that is also efficient and economical? Yeah, scale is one of those things that uh, I'll be honest with you, I think the first two S's in security and speed actually enable the scaling part. So we've all gotten used to over the past few years of having AWS, uh, Azure, Google, uh, Oracle and IBM Cloud as being one of the elastic compute infrastructures. If I need a server, I can just go spin one up, right? So you have that ability to scale. But what we've seen is while those are focused on the individual data centers, we're starting to see a scale from a geographic perspective. So as new data centers come online that are more tactically geographically located closer to the battlefield, as, uh, as well as seeing this near edge, far edge model that we talked about previously and the, and the speed, the enablement of satcoms and 5G networks, that's enabling the scale to grow horizontally, not necessarily vertically across geographies, which increases latency times, processing opportunities, and mission enablement by scaling out uh, geographically, excuse me. So we've seen that, you know, you mentioned the satellites earlier and with satellite communications, you know, that, that's communications itself, but we're also seeing uh, through our partnership with the Air Force, we've actually worked on a project called Edge One, where we've, uh, we're launching a satellite that's powered by our Kubernetes distribution K3S. And it's a very lightweight tactical distribution, but they're actually deploying on Raspberry Pi computers, the same ones you can go down and get at Micro Center. We wanted to show the commoditization of scale and how we can enter these new markets. So with the scaling out of data centers, I don't wanna lose sight of the opportunities to scale out and use edge components as that near edge type of model or the branch model in digital computing to process, disseminate and transfer data up into the larger repositories. And so how does that affect where you store and where you house your data? It depends on the architecture. Um, so with, with the far edge type of model, you would think of a sensor or a single board computer in the field as just being a vacuum, right? So they're just sitting there and sucking up temporal data, uh, climate data, you know, uh, possibly SIGINT, just collecting everything they can and just shoving it down the wire. At some point, it will be disseminated and processed it's just there to be a vacuum. Um, but that model is very complicated, especially in these high latency comms disadvantaged environments. So we're seeing a lot of customers starting to use a near edge type of model where they might have a sensor based deployment, but then closer, whether it's at a fob or a, uh, a data center closer to that sensor point, start to disseminate and process that data. So they might have a data center uh, type of storage solution within that branch model, and then back at the, you know, the cloud, if you will, or the upstream uh, AWS or Azure data center, they might have a more long lived type of storage model. So it's a question of meeting, uh, meeting the mission where they are, rather than dictating the mission through, uh, through highly uh, prescriptive type of storage and computing models. All right, good place to take a break. And there's a lot of follow-up we have, but I want to say that my guest today is Brandon Gulla. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Rancher Government Solutions. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin on Federal Insights, sponsored by Rancher Government Solutions here on Federal News Network.
When security, speed, and scale are essential to your mission's success, you need a partner who can deliver certified, open-source, and cloud-native software solutions to the U.S. government. Rancher Government Solutions RKE2 Kubernetes Distribution provides clients the security and ease of use, whether in the cloud, on-premises, or at the edge. Rancher delivers a full-stack solution and ecosystem of capabilities for your agency, while adhering to the robust security requirements of the U.S. government. Learn more at SUSARGS.com. Welcome back to Federal Insights, sponsored by Rancher Government Solutions here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Brandon Gullah, the Chief Technology Officer for Rancher Government Solutions, and I'm Tom Temin. And before the break, Brandon, we were talking briefly about Kubernetes, and this is seems to be the next generation of where this containerization is going, this way of getting beyond virtualization so that you can deploy flexibly throughout this three-tiered infrastructure we described earlier. Tell us more about that, how it works, where you get it, and what it does for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. So Kubernetes itself is an orchestration framework uh, that's more of a collective ecosystem, and it's intended to host applications at scale reliably across any computing infrastructure. So uh, back in 2013, a technology came, uh, came to fruition called Docker. And Docker is kind of synonymous to the containerization world. It's the Kleenex, if you will, uh, of you know, the opportunity to isolate applications and ship them as centralized applications uh, in a modular, idempotent, immutable type of format. We've seen you know, over the last decade, virtual machines ushered in a new paradigm shift when within the uh, computing world, allowing you to isolate all your dependencies in an operating system and ship it off, whether it's on a hard drive or a very fat file and allow someone to turn it on just as if they snapshotted something in time. It was a great opportunity, but it's very bloated in the sense that, oh, you just need Microsoft Word, we'll ship you an entire Windows. That's not something that works at scale. And most importantly, it doesn't enable the tactical battlefield because you can't push 80 gig of data down the wire effectively uh, you know, in a repeatable fashion. So Docker came to light, uh, for, or yeah, Docker came to light and centralized that development around the actual application, creating that immutable framework. With Docker containers isolating the dependencies within the Docker container itself, there needed to be a way to orchestrate that, not just on one computer, but tens of computers, hundreds or even thousands in a reliable format. So Google actually started a project called Kubernetes back in, I believe, 2014 or 2015 that took what they learned from the Google Borg project and focused on reliable computing with containers. So baking in things like disaster, or, or excuse me, high availability, um, health checks, even disaster recovery when it comes to persistent volumes, allowing you to have data that can be reliably uh, written to and read from, from applications at scale. So it was a great way to, de to commoditize the uh, systems administration perspective and actually turn it from a thinking of every server as a pet and more like cattle. You know, that's something that's used a lot, you know, uh, in phrasing when it comes to computing these days, but it makes a lot of sense where 
you don't want individual servers. You don't want to be able to point to it and say, that's my Nginx server. I built that last month. Don't touch it. It's never going to work. If you touch it, it's great, right? If that server dies, your application dies. So you don't want to treat it like a pet. You want to treat it like cattle, where you're commoditizing the server uh, perspective, where it shouldn't matter if a rat goes down or a server goes down. The application framework should be resilient enough to allow your uh your application to scale up appropriately and have zero downtime. That's actually where the term rancher comes uh, from in rancher government solutions, because we want to focus on treating applications and servers like cattle and not nurtured pets that we need to constantly, uh, you know, uh, manicure and take care of. We want to commoditize the computing experience. Kubernetes is a great way to do that. So Kubernetes itself is actually an open source framework that is in the community. It's actually owned now by the cloud compute, or excuse me, Cloud Native Computing Foundation from the Linux Foundation. So it's in a public trust, if you will, where it's not centralized to the needs of one organization or one company. It's a great community that's comprised of different special interest groups focused on the different facets of computing. So there's an entire ecosystem under security, under storage, under networking, under disaster recovery, multi-cluster. It's little fiefdoms within a larger community that really percolate up to be that word and platform that we know as Kubernetes. Kubernetes is not just one binary, it's a collection of open source tools working in harmony to produce a reliable computing framework. So we here at Rancher and Rancher Government Solutions, we have our own distributions of Kubernetes uh, to, to really highlight here. One is called K3S and why it's called K3S is because Kubernetes is commonly uh, referred to or shortened as Kates, K8S, and the eight uh, stands for the eight letters in between the K and the S in Kubernetes, because it's a long, funny word to say, right? Well, we wanted to create a lightweight distribution, so we called it K3S. And K3S, unlike traditional uh, Kubernetes, can thrive in low computing environments. And... Uh, comms disadvantaged environments. It only takes as little as a 50 megabyte statically compiled binary file to get going with Kubernetes, sure. where traditional Kubernetes takes gigs and gigs of files. That's very important when it comes to uh, the tactical edge and enabling comms disadvantaged environments. And our other distribution that I'll touch on briefly is called RKE2, formerly known as RKE Government. And it's the only open source distribution that bakes in uh, security by default, enabling uh, FIPS 140-2 NIST certified mm -hmm. encryption modules into the free and open source project. We want to lower the barrier to security, no matter if you're running in a home lab, a weapon system, or a Raspberry Pi, we believe security is good for everyone. All right. So you've described an environment where applications are highly portable. They're spun up, they're spun down, they are deployed with their data in such a way using these technologies you've described under Kubernetes in a way that is super flexible and for the agencies. But it strikes me that to have any kind of efficiency and cost savings here, it's all gotta be automated because you can't have someone sitting at a console orchestrating or trying to conduct this level of complexity at speed doesn't even seem possible without automation. So discuss the efficiency creating aspects of all of this. Efficiency up and down the stack, Tom, all, all the way from the actual system administrators, uh, you know, responsible for the servers to the developers themselves, not just in the creation of the software, but the maintenance from day two and beyond. So I will focus being that I've talked about the infrastructure piece a good, uh, a good bit here 
on the developer experience. So we've seen the maturization of concepts like software factories and DevSecOps, both outside of the U.S. government and within the U.S. government. Um, with you know the U.S. Air Force being a big component and uh, champion of that type of model, with uh, the level up software factories, of course, Platform One, which we're a big part of, uh, with the U.S. Air Force that focus on focuses on repeatable software builds through automation and validation testing. So essentially, it shouldn't matter where a developer is writing code, they can push a code commit and it will rebuild, rescan, and re-implement those code changes all the way up possibly directly into production. That is saving a huge amount of time and everyone knows time is money because you don't have to sit there and have a code review with every single code commit. You can build in linting and other type of uh, perspective tools that will actually uh, validate and investigate a software package to ensure that it passes all of those security checks and the compliance checks. We're automating that so application developers and end operators can focus on what really matters, and that's mission enablement. So getting a lot of that fluff and actually automating it just streamlines the entire process and allows a code commit to impact the warfighter in days instead of months and months and months. And you know, while the technology is a big part of it, I don't want to lose sight in the slowest portion of the US government, and that's policy and compliance. While we can build it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll fall into the guidelines that you know the policy of 10 years ago had set forth. So we've seen a lot of great changes uh, throughout the IC and DOD, you know, formerly with Nick Shalon, Paul Puckett, and others within the uh, federal community that is really spearheading the opportunity to change compliance from DISA all the way up. And we've seen that not just in the Air Force and the Army, but also the Navy recently with the Black Pearl Initiative under Ken Cato, that's trying to break down the silos from a float to a shore and in flight type of software compliance uh, and make it a single package that can be inherited from and deployed into production quicker than ever. We want to commoditize the experience and really focus on driving value. And that can be done through automation from the infrastructure all the way to the developer. And for the end users, briefly, what would be the, the advantages for them? If we're doing our job, the end users shouldn't care what we're doing because we are focusing on the user experience. Everything from disaster recovery to uh, you know health checks to resiliency, none of that should be the end user's uh, problem. They want to focus on being able to use their application and their mission enablement. They will see shorter downtimes, if downtimes at all we will focus on everything else. It's, it's really funny to hear like the Netflix story and hearing the interview process at Netflix where it's like, draw everything that happens between you pressing play on your iPad and a movie coming up. Map everything in the architecture that needs to happen. At the end user, that shouldn't matter to me. They should just have a prosperous user experience. And that's what great technology coupled with, uh, you know, diehard engineers can deliver to the federal government with Kubernetes. So we'll never again see the return of days when you have to send out 10,000 CDs around the world to update software locally and hope for the best. They say everything is cyclical, Tom, but I'm hoping that's not one of those instances. All right. Well, some great thoughts and a lot to think about. My guest today has been Brandon Gullah, the Chief Technology Officer of Rancher Government Solutions. I'm Tom Temin here on Federal Insights, sponsored by Rancher Government Solutions here on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Rancher Government Solutions. 
Thank you for listening to Federal Insights Network and Application Modernization, sponsored by Rancher Government Solutions on Federal News Network. When security, speed, and scale are essential to your mission's success, you need a partner who can deliver certified, open-source, and cloud-native software solutions to the U.S. government. Rancher Government Solutions RKE2 Kubernetes Distribution provides clients the security and ease of use, whether in the cloud, on-premises, or at the edge. Rancher delivers a full-stack solution and ecosystem of capabilities for your agency while adhering to the robust security requirements of the U.S. government. Learn more at SUSARGS.com.